Thought Leadership from PwC. Welcome to PwC's Accounting Podcast. I'm Heather Horn. This episode is our audio companion to PwC's quarter close publication, which rounds up topics to be aware of as you close your books for the quarter. And for another quarter end resource, don't forget to tune in to the our quarterly webcast. You can register for the webcast by heading on over to viewpoint.pwc.com. With that, I'd like to introduce your narrators, PwC partner, Angela Ferguson, and PwC Managing Director, Mark Jerusalem, back this month to take you through the quarter close. Angela and Mark are both from our national office. And now, I'll turn it over to Angela and Mark. We began this edition of the quarter close with a closer look at the accounting for tax credits, including those included in the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022, as more companies look for opportunities to take advantage of these incentives. Looking for an update on SEC comment letter trends? Head to Ask the National Office, where we provide the latest areas of focus, along with other timely financial reporting reminders. Although the SEC has not yet released its final rules on climate disclosures, many U.S. companies will be impacted by global sustainability reporting frameworks that are nearing finalization. We provide the latest updates and links to additional resources. In other regulatory developments, the SEC issued final rules expanding the disclosure requirements for share repurchases which will be effective in 2023 for many registrants. In standard setting updates, we summarize the feedback on new income tax disclosures proposed by the FASB. Meanwhile, the FASB continues to make progress on its other active projects, including accounting for software costs. We keep you up to date on recent decisions as those projects develop. In this edition of the quarter close, We highlight these and other relevant accounting and reporting topics you should consider as you close out the second quarter of 2023. This first section of the quarter close is accounting and reporting hot topics, starting with navigating the accounting for tax credits. The U.S. Federal Tax Code, along with a number of state and foreign tax jurisdictions, allows for a variety of tax credits to incentivize certain types of investments and developments. The Inflation Reduction Act of 2022, or IRA, significantly expanded the availability of climate and energy-related tax credits. An increasing number of companies are taking advantage of these credits, either by generating tax credits through their own activities, buying credits from other companies, or investing in tax credit structures. The related accounting depends on the path they choose to pursue and the terms of the specific credit, and may have impacts beyond the company's income tax provision. First, we'll provide an overview of the direct pay options and transferable tax credits. Some tax credits can only be realized when a company has taxable income and claims the credits on their tax return. Other tax credits may be refundable or have a, quote, direct pay, unquote, option, allowing a company to receive cash from the government regardless of whether it has an income tax liability. Certain credits included in the IRA also have a provision that allows companies to transfer, that is, sell, credits to another taxpayer. Companies will need to assess whether to account for a tax credit 
as part of the income tax provision under ASC 740 income taxes or as the receipt of a grant or other benefit from the government. There is currently no U.S. GAAP that explicitly addresses the accounting by business entities for government assistance. As a result, reporting entities generally apply 1. a government grant model by analogy to IAS 20, accounting for government grants and disclosures of government assistance, or 2. a contribution model by analogy to ASC 958-605, not-for-profit entities, revenue recognition. The publication includes a decision tree that summarizes high-level considerations when assessing the accounting model generally applicable to tax credits for entities with activities subject to income tax. First, ask the question, does the credit have a direct pay option or is it refundable? If the answer is yes, then the credit is outside the scope of ASC 740 and companies should apply a government grant or contribution model. If the answer is no, then ask, is the credit transferable? If the answer to that second question is yes, then one can apply the ASC 740 model or the government grant or contribution model. If the answer to that second question is no, then apply the ASC 740 model. This summary does not capture all potential fact patterns. Thus, it is important for companies to carefully analyze the details of the specific tax credit to determine the relevant accounting model. The determination of whether a tax credit is within the scope of ASC 740 will affect whether the credit is recorded in pre-tax income or the income tax provision, and may also impact timing of recognition and measurement of the benefit. In certain cases, companies will need to make accounting policy elections that should be applied consistently to similar credits. Our upcoming in-depth Inflation Reduction Act, Accounting for Climate and Clean Energy Incentives, will provide more details on tax credits included in the IRA and take a deeper dive into the accounting for these credits. Now we'll move on to new guidance for tax credit investments. Instead of generating tax credits through their own activities, companies may invest in pass-through entities that in turn invest in certain projects that generate tax credits and other tax benefits. In return, the investor receives an allocation of the tax credits, other tax benefits, and cash flow generated by the project. In March, the FASB issued ASU 2023-02 which expands the use of an approach described as the Proportional Amortization Method, or PAM, to account for equity investments in tax credit structures that meet certain criteria. Application of the PAM results in the tax credit investment being amortized in proportion to the allocation of tax credits and other tax benefits received in each period, with net presentation within the income tax line item. Previously, this approach was limited to investments in qualified affordable housing projects that generate low-income housing tax credits. Common tax credit programs that investors access via tax equity structures and that may now be eligible for application of the PAM include new markets tax credits, historic rehabilitation tax credit programs, and renewable energy tax credit programs. Other programs that may arise through the IRA may also be eligible. 
The new guidance is effective for public business entities for fiscal years beginning after December 15, 2023, including interim periods within those fiscal years. Non-public companies have an additional year to adopt. Early adoption is permitted. For more details, refer to our in-depth FASB Changes Accounting for Tax Credit Investments. Finally, a tax policy update reminder. The OECD Minimum Tax. Are you prepared? The Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, or OECD, backed by countries around the world, has been pursuing a two-pillar solution to address the challenges arising from the digitalization of the economy. The global minimum tax proposed under Pillar 2 of this framework, which is based on adjusted financial reporting income, represents an unprecedented worldwide tax development. As various jurisdictions make advancements in enacting domestic legislation based on Pillar 2 minimum tax rules, companies will need to be prepared to address the accounting and reporting impacts. Importantly, jurisdictions have already enacted the Pillar 2 legislation, and more are in the process of enacting in 2023, effective in 2024. In addition to tax, there are several key stakeholder groups within companies, including accounting and finance teams, that will be impacted. Listen to our podcast, Tax Policy Update, OECD and Domestic Minimum Taxes, for more on what companies should be doing now. For more information on the OECD's two-pillar solution, see our In the Loop. And for more information on the mechanics of Pillar 2, see our In Depth. The next section of the quarter close is Ask the National Office, checking in on comment letter trends. We asked Allie Wilson, a director in PwC's National Office, a few key questions on comment letter trends. As we reach the midpoint of 2023, what are we seeing so far this year in SEC comment letter trends? While there hasn't been a significant shift in focus areas, Based on our most recent analysis, non-GAAP measures returned as the most frequent area of SEC comment for the 12 months ended March 31st. Management's discussion and analysis, or MDNA, is a close second after being in the number one spot for the latter half of 2022. Comments related to non-GAAP measures have focused on the presentation of the related GAAP measure with equal or greater prominence reconciliation to the most comparable gap measure, the appropriateness of adjustments, the use of individually tailored accounting principles, and disclosure of why the presentation is meaningful to investors. These comments are largely in line with the December 2022 updates to the SEC staff's Compliance and Disclosure Interpretations, or CNDIs. Comments related to MDNA have continued to focus on the discussion of quantitative drivers of material changes, known trends or uncertainties, sensitivity analysis and critical accounting estimate disclosures, and the robustness of liquidity and capital resources disclosures. What are some highlights from the recent updates to the SEC staff's guidance on non-GAAP measures? The staff has noted that the December C&DI updates were intended to memorialize existing staff views provided in the past through public statements or comment letters. 
However, companies should consider reviewing their non-GAAP measures and related disclosures in the context of the updated staff guidance. A key area of focus is whether a non-GAAP measure is misleading. For example, presenting a non-GAAP measure that excludes normal recurring cash operating expenses necessary to operate the company's business could be misleading. In the recent update, the staff provided more details about how it evaluates whether an operating expense is normal and recurring. This included clarifying that the staff would view an operating expense that occurs repeatedly or occasionally, even if at irregular intervals, as recurring. Other updates to the CNDIs include examples of non-GAAP measures that are not appropriately labeled and examples of adjustments that result in individually tailored accounting principles. Another important takeaway is that if a non-GAAP measure is misleading, it cannot be, quote, cured, unquote, solely by providing additional disclosure. What else should companies be thinking about when preparing their disclosures this quarter? In the current environment, companies should continue to revisit their risk factors, critical accounting estimates, MD&A, and other disclosures to assess whether updates are needed. One helpful resource is the SEC staff's Dear Issuer letter related to COVID-19, as the considerations outlined in this letter can be applied to almost any emerging issue. Additionally, companies should pay close attention to quantitative and qualitative disclosures about market risk, as required by Item 305 of Regulation SK. These disclosures help users of the financial statements understand which instruments are sensitive to market risk and how sensitive the instruments are to changes in key inputs and assumptions. For example, companies should consider how rising interest rates may have impacted valuations or investment strategies. Finally, the SEC requires a discussion about critical accounting estimates in MD&A, which should be incremental to the financial statement disclosures. In a rapidly changing economic environment, quantitative disclosures may be necessary to explain the sensitivity of the reported amount to the methods, assumptions, and estimates underlying its calculation. Companies should also continue to evaluate whether estimates that were not previously identified as significant have become significant due to increased judgment or volatility of the underlying assumptions. For more information on comment letter trends, refer to our SEC comment letter trends landing page. In the next section of the quarter close, we discuss regulatory developments. Up first is ESG reporting, global requirements near finalization. Although we are still waiting for the SEC's final climate disclosure rule, the past quarter has brought two other significant sustainability reporting frameworks closer to finalization. First, the Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive, or CSRD. The CSRD went into effect on January 5th, 2023, starting the 18-month timeline for EU member states to transpose the CSRD into their own national laws. We have not seen significant changes to the CSRD in those EU member states that have started the process, although it remains unclear whether and what changes may occur given the early stage. The disclosure requirements under the CSRD are detailed in New European Sustainability Reporting Standards, ESRS. The 12 sectors agnostic ESRS 
were released by the European Commission for a four-week public consultation on June 9th, following consultation with EU regulatory authorities, expert groups, and EU member states reflecting changes and transition relief as compared to earlier drafts. The ESRS are expected to be adopted by the end of July and enacted into law by the European Parliament and Council of the European Union by the end of 2023. Meanwhile, the European Financial Reporting Advisory Group, or EFRAG, is prioritizing development of implementation guidance while still working on a modified timeline for sector-specific standards and standards for listed small and medium-sized companies. For more information, read our in-brief, the revised draft European Sustainability Reporting Standards have been released for feedback. U.S. companies can be subject to the sustainability reporting requirements in multiple ways, and the first set of companies in scope will need to begin making disclosures about fiscal year 2024 information. For further information, read our In the Loop, Worldwide Impact of CSRD. Are you ready? Up next, the International Sustainability Standards Board, or ISSB. The ISSB is preparing to issue its two initial standards on general requirements, IFRS S1 and Climate, IFRS S2, by the end of the second quarter, with an effective date starting in January 2024. Transition relief provided by the ISSB in April will limit the scope of IFRS S1 in the first year of reporting to disclosures about the risks and opportunities related to climate, with no impact to the application of IFRS S2. As the ISSB looks to the next tranche of standard setting, it has published a request for information to solicit stakeholders' views on its agenda priorities. In the consultation, the ISSB has asked for input on the relative priority of sustainability-related projects. One, biodiversity ecosystems and ecosystem services. Two, human capital. Three, human rights. And four, integration of sustainability and financial reporting. The consultation is open for comment until September 1st. For more information, read our in-brief the ISSB has released its request for information on agenda priorities. In addition, in May, the ISSB published an exposure draft on its proposed methodology for amending the metrics of the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board, or SASB standards, to enhance their international applicability. The ISSB plans to issue targeted amendments to the SASB standards and the SASB taxonomy to facilitate the implementation and application of IFRS S1. The exposure draft is open for comment until August 9th. For more details on the, quote, big three, unquote, sustainability reporting proposals, refer to our In the Loop, Navigating the ESG Landscape. The last regulatory development we'll cover is the SEC's final guidance related to expanding share repurchase disclosures. In May, the SEC adopted amendments that expand existing share repurchase disclosure requirements for domestic corporate issuers, foreign private issuers, or FPIs, and listed closed-end funds. The amendments significantly increase disclosures about share repurchases, requiring quarterly reporting of daily repurchase activity, 
as well as increased reporting regarding the rationale and objectives for share repurchase plans. Domestic corporate issuers and FPIs filing on domestic forms will be required to comply beginning with a filing that covers the first full fiscal quarter beginning on or after October 1, 2023. For example, calendar year-end companies will be required to comply beginning in their December 31, 2023 Form 10-K. FPIs filing on FPI forms and listed closed-end funds will be required to comply in 2024. For more information, read our in-brief, SEC Expands Share Repurchase Disclosures. In the final section of the quarter close, we cover standard setting updates. Up first, the end of the comment period for proposed income tax disclosures. The comment period for the FASB's exposure draft proposing significant new disclosures about income taxes ended in May. The feedback was generally supportive of the FASB's efforts to improve income tax disclosures. However, responses included questions and suggestions for improvement. The proposal would expand disclosures related to A, the rate reconciliation table, and B, income taxes paid. Many respondents requested clarification of how certain items would be categorized in the rate reconciliation table and whether the specified categories are required regardless of materiality. Regarding income taxes paid, preparers and practitioners observed that the proposed requirements, including frequency of disclosure, that is, both interim and annual, and the 5% threshold for disclosure by jurisdiction, could result in voluminous information that may not be decision-useful. In contrast, some user groups asked for more information about income taxes paid and taxable income by jurisdiction. Refer to PwC's comment letter for details on our response, and for more background on the project, refer to the FASB's project page. Up next, the FASB proposes new examples to clarify scope for profits interest awards. In May, the FASB issued an exposure draft proposing to add illustrative examples to help entities determine whether a profits interest award should be in the scope of share-based payment guidance, ASC 718, or the general compensation guidance for cash bonuses or profit-sharing awards, ASC 710. Comments on the proposal are due July 10th. The last standard-setting update covers induced conversions of convertible debt instruments, a new addition to the EITF agenda. In April, the FASB added a project to the Emerging Issues Task Force, or EITF, agenda to help clarify whether the settlement of certain convertible debt instruments should be accounted for as an induced conversion or extinguishment. Following the issuance of ASU 202006, which amended the guidance for convertible debt instruments, Questions have been raised about the accounting for the early settlement of certain convertible debt instruments that may be partially or fully settled in cash pursuant to their terms. After the adoption of ASU 202006, the difference in the financial statement impact between an induced conversion and an extinguishment of this type of debt instrument is more significant than under previous guidance. This is particularly true when the conversion option is significantly in the money, 
as an extinguishment loss would be recognized based on the difference between the fair value of the consideration transferred and the net carrying amount of the debt. In contrast, if settlement of the convertible debt is considered an induced conversion, then the impact to earnings is significantly less. For more information on the EITF issue, refer to the FASB's project page. Finally, we have a project spotlight on the FASB's recent decisions in the direction of the Software Costs Project. Last year, the FASB added a project to its agenda on accounting for and disclosure of software costs in response to feedback that the current guidance is outdated and difficult to apply to current development practices. The FASB has been considering multiple approaches, including A, expensing all software costs, B, a dual model under which some software costs are expensed and others are capitalized, and C, a single model that requires capitalizing software development costs from the point at which it is probable that the software project will be completed until the software project is substantially complete. In April, the FASB directed the staff to continue its research on the single capitalization model and decided not to further pursue other approaches. At future meetings, the FASB will continue to discuss the details of the model, as well as the accounting for maintenance and enhancements, subsequent measurement, and disclosures. For more information, refer to the FASB's project page. For a complete list of recently issued accounting standards and their effective dates, including links to PwC resources, refer to the Guidance Effective for Calendar Year-End Public Companies and Guidance Effective for Calendar Year-End Non-Public Companies pages on viewpoint.pwc.com. And refer to the print publication for a listing of reference materials, including podcasts, webcasts, and print publications that expand on the discussion in the quarter close. That's our show for today. Tune in next week for more fresh episodes so that you never miss any of our audio content. Follow the PwC Accounting Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. And to stay up to date on all our latest accounting and reporting news, sign up for our newsletter at viewpoint.pwc.com. From Thought Leadership at PwC, I'm Heather Horn. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates, and they sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.